So I see this as an opportunity because we, we better do something because sitting back and say, oh, maybe maybe they'll do a better time, better job next time they revamp this. And the same people who destroyed it, if they get to reestablish another system, we can't be very hopeful that uh, it'll work out well. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com in Acapulco, Mexico. It is the 15th of February, 2020, and it's an old interview cliche that my next guest needs no introduction, but my next guest needs no introduction. Dr. Ron Paul, welcome to The Corbett Report. Thank you. Nice to be with you. Yeah, it's nice to have you here in Acapulco, Mexico, where, we're, of course, we're attending the Anarchapulco Conference. So in keeping with the theme of the conference, let's ask some questions related to politics and the political process, like you were talking about at your speech last night. Um, let's start with a simple question that has profound ramifications. Do you think liberty can be achieved through the political process? I, I don't think we have many choices. We have to deal with the political process because they're the enemy of liberty. So you have to undo the political process or re-educate people. I don't, I don't see it as a political problem. I think it's a philosophic problem of people understanding what liberty is all about, what sound economic policy is about, what monetary policy is about, because the, the political system is just a reflection of prevailing ideas. So the enemy is a prevailing idea that uh, people need authoritarians in, in, uh, in charge through government, which has been throughout history, to tell people how they should live. And they're motivated sometimes by wanting to help people, uh, which is very dangerous. And sometimes they're motivated just for their own self-interest. And most of the time, it's power and money and control that uh, motivates them. I know a lot of people went to Washington that I saw, and they were well motivated, but then they soon blended in because of the system, the political system overrode what they believed, the philosophic system. But uh, no, the political action it will eventually have to happen. All revolutions are that way, but uh, my goal is to keep it a peaceful, philosophic, ideological uh, revolution so people's minds are changed. You can't, if let's say that uh, we wanted to uh, uh, you know, bring about a monetary system that I would endorse. Well, you can't do it by force because there's too many special interests benefiting. Every, everybody from rich to poor, uh, every level, everybody you know, is dependent on free stuff and there's nothing freer than free money. Uh, of course, the consequence is deadly and that's what I've concentrated on. Well, actually, on that note, last night you made an intriguing statement about the, the end of the Federal Reserve and the, what progress might happen in Congress with regard to that. But you said, no, the Federal Reserve is going to end anyway or something along those lines. Could you expand on that? Well, right now the Fed's losing the credibility just as our foreign policy is losing credibility because the ideas behind it are flawed. Uh, so uh, our foreign policy and operation overseas will end like the Soviet system. <laughs> they have to come home because they go broke. And that's the way it is with monetary policy. Uh, uh, they, they don't know what they're doing, and uh, sometimes they admit it. And even the people on Wall Street, they don't ignore it because they'll move within seconds to uh, make a billion dollars or lose a billion dollars because they know everybody else is looking at it. But most of them know that, uh, you know, uh, that this is not sustainable. 
I mean, the whole uh, absurdity of negative interest rates. You pay people to take your money. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of people right now, like a guy like Buffett, uh, he just sits on it. And uh, so it's a very defective system. So the Federal Reserve uh, on a daily basis will become less relevant. Uh, so if you, if you get to the point where conditions get much worse, which I expect they will, they will even be less relevant. And uh, they might not have a snap of the fingers and the Fed is gone, but the authority of the Fed is going to dwindle just as our foreign policy and our, our control of our empire is going to continue to dwindle to the point where uh, we might have to do something like the Soviets did, just say, we've had it. Monetarily, I think that happens too. And that's why, you know, uh, one of my goals has been to uh, promote competing currencies uh, and let the people be prepared. And that is why I'm at this conference, not because I know very much about cryptocurrencies, although this is an alternative free market uh, goal to have money and, and be useful uh, because of uh, the conditions that are coming. Uh, and, uh, and we have to have something better than bartering. So th this is why we have to uh, talk about the metal and cryptocurrencies and let people decide uh, what is best. So they are preparing for the end of the Fed, really, uh, because it, it's a failed system. It's been around way too long. People argue in a very profound manner when they introduced the Federal Reserve and people warned even back then, they warned during the Depression, they warned when Bretton Woods broke down, but systematically over a hundred and some years, they just, uh, you, you know, got rid of any restraint on the monetary managers. And the ultimate uh, uh, destruction of uh, elimination of the restraint was in 1971. And if anybody wants to see if anything profoundly happened after 1971, all they have to do is look at the charts. Size of government, loss of liberty, more wars, deficits, and more money uh, gravitating to the wealthy, and the middle class being wiped out. Uh, so it's a serious problem because the uh, wiping out of the middle class then, in, uh, you know, it, it gets people that might agree with me interested in having a substitute, but it also gives fodder for the uh, socialists. And lo and behold, socialism is popular, you know, and people get elected calling themselves a socialist. That would have never happened 25 years ago. So I, I see the goal of those of us who uh, love liberty and, and want less government uh, have to be able to defend our position of uh, why uh, freedom can solve the problems that they think only government can do it. But that, that uh, is like a cancer. It starts and, uh, an addiction. They say, well, a little bit of drugs makes us feel good uh, until the point they're addicted and they can't get off. And we can't get off this system gracefully. It, it has to end. We're not going to wean the people off the demands of free money. So it's going to get much, much worse and it'll get uh, closer to what's happening in, in Venezuela uh, than what's been happening in these last 50 or 60 years where uh, many free market people have been explaining this and warning people, but they don't believe it. Oh, they'll tell me, Ron, you said that 10 years ago and it hasn't happened yet. Well, lots have happened in the last 10, 15 years. We've had a lot of uh, serious uh, exchanges, uh, uh, collapses and a crisis, and a lot of people have suffered and they never regained. I think it's very interesting to look at a chart of uh, which group of people in the last 10 years since the beginning of this last crisis, that it's only the wealthy 
that actually had a uh, you know wealth increase, and uh, and yet we hear political statements that you know that this is the first time ever we've helped every category, and it, in a short run and to a degree, I, I think there's some truth to that. If you just look strictly at employment levels, there's always a catch uh, to those statistics. But if you look at uh, the, the amount of dilution of value of our currency and look for true economic growth, it's not there. Debt is growth, and while debt is growing exponentially, as the money supply is, uh, the the real wealth of the country, the GDP, is almost flat, and uh, that was to be expected. I uh, I hear what you're saying. I agree very much, but you do raise the point that the uh, the powers that are invested in the Federal Reserve as it exists are uh, numerous and wealthy and powerful. Uh, they are pro presumably not stupid or ignorant of what's happening with regards to the, the devaluation of the dollar and the eventual end of the Fed. Do you think there's a plan in place for the collapse of this system and the creation of a new one under the BIS or the G20 or whatever? Yeah, they, they know it. They know what we know, and they prepare. <laughs> they're probably, I think, at least uh, some central banks, maybe not ours, they're piling up the gold, you know, because they know there has to be a mo new monetary system, and they will always try very desperately to cling to their power, economic power or whatever. And uh, that's why the principle and the understanding of why people are better off without depending on another plan by the people who are only involved in, uh, in accumulating more wealth. So yes, that, they're the enemy. They're the philosophic enemies and they're the enemies of our freedoms and enemies of our prosperity. And uh, I quite frankly think our, our economy is uh, a lot worse than they're pretending. I think the, uh, uh, the middle class is, uh, is much poorer, uh, and the middle class is being wiped out. Or we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't have so many people now saying well, you, that free enterprise system and all this capitalism. Look at what it's done to us, and they get a lot of attention, mainly because of a, of a philosophy that's been promoted by our our uh, institutions, our universities, and our media, and they pump it out there, and uh, they they're able to influence the people and not realize that uh, the middle class is in bad shape for one particular reason, and that is the fact that uh, the government has taken over everything. And uh, the middle class, Mises uh, in, in Human Action said, you know, if, if you destroy the currency, the value of the money, which people measure economic transaction, uh, you will destroy the middle class. And, and uh, that's what we're witnessing, the destruction of the, of the middle class. And that's why, uh, you know, Congress is supposed to, if, if nobody else other than the House, is supposed to represent the people to protect their freedoms. And, and that's a joke. They, they don't, most of them don't even know what's going on. They're irrelevant. You know, if they really knew, maybe they would do something with the Federal Reserve or something with our foreign policy. No, they rubber stamp everything. You know, and they get along well when they're rubber stamping, you know, the monetary system or the deficits or the wars. And uh, but, but it's it's to me is an ideological fight and a struggle and it's philosophy and it's what the people uh, believe we should have. The prevailing attitude of the people very important. You know, I imagine the first 150 years uh, or even more, our original history was the prevailing attitude was this is a free country, this is wonderful, and everybody has an opportunity. But now uh, it's a little bit different. 
All right, I know we're pressed for time, so I thank you for taking the time today. I just have one more question. Um, I'm a Canadian in Japan who has been researching heavily into the United States and Federal Reserve System because obviously it is the 8,000-pound gorilla in the room um, internationally, and it affects all of us. But in my research for my documentary on the Federal Reserve Century of Enslavement, I went through the history of the, the first bank of the United States, the second bank of the United States, leading up to the creation of the Federal Reserve ultimately in 1913. And what really struck me was going through that history and seeing the monetary issue was a central issue of American politics from the founding of the country on through into the 18th century, uh, into the 19th century. It was a really central issue that entire political campaigns were waged around and people talked about it and people seemed very relatively well informed about it until the creation of the Federal Reserve. And then the monetary issue did not seem to be a political issue after that point. Both sides agreed to play ball and to go along with the Federal Reserve system. But in 2008, or the 2008 campaign, something happened. Obviously, your message was, was reaching millions of people around the United States. And uh, for me, connecting those early movements about monetary reform to arenas full of people chanting, end the Fed, end the Fed, in 2008. I mean, that's, that's a revolutionary moment of some sort, a philosophically revolutionary moment. Yeah, I think people have said that in the past, but I said it at the right time because things were really bad in 08. I mean, it was a big crash, and I had worked for many years in the banking committee in a quiet sort of way because I had no real authority talking about uh, the housing bubble you know, in the NASDAQ bubble. And and, uh, and I think when some of that happened, then I, if I had not run for president, uh, nobody would have heard. I was just sort of at the right time. And even back then, this a few years ago, they uh, allowed, uh, they, didn't, they didn't know that a presence on the stage like myself would have uh, have much to uh, any effect, mainly because uh, they knew, and I I knew that uh, they weren't going to put me in in office to close this down. So they said, "This we'll just sort of let this guy talk." But now, you know, you get uh, some on foreign policy. You see. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, she she's on, she got in at three. I think I was in like 26 debates in 08, you know, in that period of time. So the message, it, it's sort of like uh, somebody saying something that everybody's been thinking of, but nobody has said it. But uh, I think it's been building uh, and people were aware that this system is deep, deeply flawed. And you're right, in our early history, there was much more respect for it. I sort of date a major tra change at the Civil War period when uh, Lincoln abused the monetary system. And they went to court and they always ruled in favor of the, of the National Bank. And that's been like that way all along. You never get any the Supreme Court. But who are the Supreme Court? Are they there just to get more money? No, I think most of them, uh, at least uh, uh, theoretically, they're much better. In they're just reflecting monetary policy that they were taught in school. And, and the, the Federal Reserve Board Chairman that I knew, about five of them, they they were pretty, uh, pretty sincere, but they were also, I don't think they became the billionaires, you know. They're not that very, very wealthy, but they had, the, they had their play of the game. But they were reflecting 
doing what uh, what they were taught. And one of the things that motivated Bernanke clearly, uh, and he had an alliance sort of with uh, uh, Alan Greenspan because Greenspan was on uh, didn't like the gold standard, and the two of them agreed that the problem with the depression. Uh, was that they didn't print enough money. And of course, that was the cause of the Depression. So they, they sort of got along uh, quite well, but Bernanke did all his intellectual work. So psychologically and uh, intellectually, he can't say, well, I just spent 30 years teaching this stuff. I can't give this up. I got to defend it. But uh, it's not defensible and defendable. And it's a, it's a, it's going to become more aware of that. So, you know, you know, it isn't going to be because one individual like myself declares, all right, this close shop. It's going to close shop because it won't be effective anymore. Uh, and I mentioned yesterday in a speech that uh, a significant date in our monetary history was when I got interested in that was the, you know, the closing of the gold winning and uh, the breakdown of Bretton Woods. But the newest date is September uh, 17th of last year is the morning they woke up and the overnight race, the repo race went from 1% to 10%. Where did this come from? Where did this come from? And then that was when they resumed QE. I think that's a big event. And uh, they say, well, this, this, is, uh, this is QE, but not QE or something like that. They, they, but it's, it's buying of assets, what it is. It's pumping it in there. It's trying to salvage a system that uh, isn't going to work. And the one thing is, is as smart as the, the very wealthy are, and they probably own a lot of gold too, and they know enough to put money overseas and not pay taxes and all, but uh, they are, uh, they, they, I think, know very much what's going on. But uh, it's power that they'll want because, uh, you, you know, uh, the manipulation of the monetary system or the economic system and the welfare. When I went to Congress, 1976, I thought welfare was terrible. Those, those people don't need food stamps. You know, that attitude, it was not quite as uh, that way, but that was a point. And uh, yet the longer I was there, that was a pittance. That was throwing crumbs. Well, here's a couple food stamps for you. And the big food stamps, which I talk about now, is uh, corporate welfare. And what bugs me the most is this uh, corporate corporatism and corporate welfare in a financial system is, uh, is, is uh, said to be the free market that we who believe in freedom and, uh, and uh, capitalism, that's what we get. I don't even like the word capitalism, but uh, uh, it's that they, they have us in a position where we better learn how to defend uh, the position that it wasn't freedom and free markets and sound money that gave, gave us this mess. And uh, otherwise, nobody will ever listen. Right now, the prevailing attitude is, yeah. And there was a lot of that going on in the Depression. The, con the conclusion that the Depression was that uh, it was a gold standard and uh, it was, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, the, the restrictions on, on the Federal Reserve. And uh, it still exists, but it's much worse today. And that's why I think we're coming to an end of this. And I think it should be good. And I see it as a great opportunity for people who uh, want to live in a libertarian society and, and take care of themselves and be responsible if we can get the message out. But uh, that is a job, you know, be, to, do, uh, to do that uh, because we're up against the media and, and the colleges and the, the politicians. But it's also the reason why I have a home, homeschooling <laughs> uh, program because I think that we have to educate people at a young age uh, because they're, they're indoctrinated by the government 
now it used to be we they started in when we went to grade you know first grade but now there's uh, kindergarten and pre-kindergarten indoctrinated and believe me there's a lot of stuff in there when it comes to whether it's war or monetary policy or environmentalism uh, they can radicalize these kids so I see this as an opportunity because we, we better do something because sitting back and say oh maybe maybe they'll do a better time better job next time they revamp this and the same people who destroyed it, if they get to reestablish another system, we can't be very hopeful that uh, it'll work out well. Well, on that note, for the two or three people in the audience who may not know of the work that you're continuing to do, uh, tell them about the Ron Paul Liberty Report and the Ron Paul well, Institute. The Liberty Report, you know, it, when uh, uh, when I first started in 08, I was... Uh, uh, you know, not too much aware of videos, and there weren't that many. And, and then in the campaigns, it became very well known that, uh, you, you know, the, the video uh, was something that spread the message a whole lot. So I became very interested in that. And the, those videos circulate a whole lot. And I think that because I didn't have a fantastic organization, I think that uh, the one time we had an exceptionally uh, for that time, a, a large amount of money collected, like $6 million in one night. And they said, boy, what? The other members of Congress, how did you do that? How did you organize that? And I, I didn't do it. They said, well, why would they do it? Well, it was volunteerism. You know, they came together and, and they were in, enthusiastic. So that, um, that uh, then, uh, the video uh, uh, was the the issue. So when I left, I said, well, we'll just do these YouTube videos, you know, with just a little camera and, and put them out uh, because I wanted to keep talking about it. I had talked about it a long time before I went to Congress. And so maybe they'll keep looking. But it, it worked out better than I expected. We kept them going and, and we had some donors uh, donate some equipment for us. And, and now we uh, stream every every day, practically every day. And uh, we uh, go over a lot of foreign policy, a lot of monetary policy and, and Federal Reserve. And, uh, and, and our numbers are growing. I think it's about 205,000 subscribers to, to that channel. And uh, I guess other people who have a million or two, it doesn't mean much. But people that watch my channel, they're very serious and very supportive. And they know what's going on, I'll tell you. So I, I've always enjoyed doing this. And I'm delighted that I, I can still do it. And I'm delighted that uh, there's a couple people out there who still want to hear it. A couple million, I'm sure. Well, uh, on that note, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure uh, and an honor. I've been watching you speak for over a decade now, so I very much appreciate this. And uh, just once again, thank you for spreading the word of liberty for all this time. If I had one-tenth of your energy at the age of 85, I would be a happy man. So thank you. Yeah, very good. Thank you. the Federal Reserve, the heart of the American banking system. For over 100 years, it has operated in the shadows, controlling America's money supply in total secrecy. So all that information is available uh, in our commercial paper program. And who got the money? Hundreds and hundreds of banks, any bank or that has uh, access to the U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve's discount. Tell us who they are. No. Until now. 100 years ago, in 1913, the Fed was created. Fractional reserve banking. 
the legal authority to do it. Takeover of monetary policy. Are conducted by the Federal Reserve banks. They are banks. There is no other agency of government which can overrule actions that we take. Century of Enslavement, the history of the Federal Reserve. Watch the documentary for free at corporatereport.com slash Federal Reserve and purchase a copy on DVD to help support the Corbett Report today.